and it's meant to be sung, sung together. Um, and it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going on in that psalm. And, uh, and I have a sermon ready to preach on it. But this, this week as I was preparing um, and as I was hanging out even in Finby's this week, I was chatting to Martin. And uh, Martin told me of a time when, uh, when this psalm in particular really spoke to him. So I asked him um, if he would just come up and share with us a little bit of his story and uh, hanging around how that psalm uh, impacted him. So give it up for Martin as he comes up. And uh, he's going to... Uh, Share with us a little bit about it. There you go. Yeah, just, uh, just want to say that um, I suppose uh, that uh, the only reason I'm standing here is because of Jesus. Like before I even say anything, it's just it's a miracle. Like yeah, even as the song was on there, just those memories coming back to me, um, with stuff from the past and stuff like that, you know. But. Uh, yeah, with that saying, um, I just, uh, I was talking, we were in Finby's the other day and I was talking with Robin. I said, I remember reading Psalm 12, and then I was reading Psalm 13, and uh, really kind of, I said, I remember that's the first kind of uh, piece of the Bible I ever actually read, like, when I was in the sick room up in Tiglin. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I suppose, when I was in the sick when I first went to Tiglin, like I, I went in there twice, and I, and I and I left twice, left twice out there. I ran like I ran out of Tiglin, you know. And um, when I when I when I took off out of Tiglin, the lads were praying for me up in up in the centre. Now normally like, you just come into the room and pray at me or anything like that, you know what I mean, like and stuff. And uh, when I left Tiglin, um, I was I was uh, running, I was going out to going out to take drugs one day. I was in a, I was in a taxi, and um, in that sound there it says you can never run, says you can never run from there heart is it God I'm saying that in the same and uh, it was like um, when I was in a taxi going out to collect the drugs and there was a taxi driver there and it was an African taxi driver like you know and uh, he was saying like where are you going to and all this and he said I said uh, I'm just going to collect some drugs and stuff whatever and uh, <laughs> no no sorry I didn't I said uh, I'm going out to, I'm going out to me I'm going out, I'm going out to get a you know blinkers for horses and all it was giving a big spoof a big story right and, and then he, he was saying all right yes yes but I, I could see he was kind of sussing me out, you know what I mean, going out the road. And uh, I went out anyway. So, I, oh yeah, he, he answered the phone, right? The phone rang, he answered the phone. He says, uh, he says, um, he says, hello, pastor, he says. He says, praise God, he goes on the phone, right? And I was like, I must be a Christian. He says, there's no getting away from what I was thinking, do you get me? So, uh, oh yeah, I got out of the car anyway. And uh, I went up to take drugs. I went into this, this old house, like, and I was, I was after leaving Tiglin, like, you know. And I, I knew, like, I shouldn't be doing this, like, you know. And there was, was, like, a struggle going on inside me. And I was inside the house, and um, I had me drugs, but I didn't find out I was going to smoke me drugs. And my hands started shaking. And then the stuff fell off it. And I was like, what's wrong with me, like, you know, what's wrong with me, like. And um, then I sat down to take my drugs after that. There was nothing in the house. I pulled open this metal thing on the house in the window, and there was nothing inside her. And then um, I looked over, and there was this picture. I know it was dust in it. And did you ever see, like, I remember my grandmother's house, like, she did sacred hair picture like of, of Jesus like you know you know with the, with the, with the, with the flow in here like whatever and the, the little light the little light in it but I remember looking across at the at the picture like the eyes were connected to me and I was like I couldn't look at the picture to put, put the picture away like so um, that was grand and I um, ended up back going around the streets and stuff whatever like that you know but God is faithful like you know because I was even on, when I was on the streets in Dublin I didn't really know any, anybody and uh, I just, I was so, I was so bad on at one stage, um, I just thrown myself down on the ground, like, you know, and I was just bombed off my head and stuff, whatever like that, you know. And uh, then, um, yeah, I met these two lads, like, and they knew someone from Limerick, and they, they looked after me and whatever for a while, like, you know, in, in the middle of all the madness, like. But I could see that God was in the middle of all that, you know. But, um, yeah, that's when, make a long story short, I went into the Tiglin and I remember reading that psalm, you know, and it was like, um, it really... 
just the way I felt like I was I was after him. The first time I went in, I was like vomiting for nine days, like you know, vomiting for nine days. I remember I never forget it, like Billy Barnett, like uh, he with the first time I came up I met Billy and I met Steph Angle Martin, you know, and I got into the into the van with him. And I was like, you know, like you're in, you're in a kind of a strange area and stuff, whatever like that. And, and then like Steph turned around to me and he says like, uh, he says you'll be all right. He says like that, you know, the lads up in the house are they're too good to keep an eye on you and stuff, whatever like that, you know. And just, I just felt the peace come over me in the van, like I, cu- I couldn't explain it, like no, I know it was just it was God, like you know. And then um, went to the house and whatever and stuff like that, you know. But I couldn't, I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat for days and stuff, whatever. And I was going up to the kitchen. And the lads were getting their dinners and I couldn't eat the dinners and stuff and then I couldn't sleep. And then when I read that psalm, it really it really connected me, you know. I was just I was sick of being sick and I was just really broken, you know. And then I just got down on my knees then one day and I, I, I just put I just I just got down on my knees and I goes, God, if I go back out there, I says, I'm gonna die, I said, I'm gonna die like it's either death or I just knew there wasn't another round left of me. I just had it. I could sense it like that debt was just coming for me, like, you know. And um, that was it. There was no big bright light. Nothing like that happened. Then I was in Tiglin and they brought us out to, like, I was after hearing people's testimonies and hearing the, hearing the gospel preached to me and stuff. And, you know, and then Billy says, you, you, you'll get it this time. He says, you'll get it this time. He kept saying to me. And then, uh, yeah, brought us up to the, brought us out to the, remember Liberty used to meet up in the street, up the, up the, the front street there. So I went forward in prayer in one night and uh, I gave my life to the Lord like and that night and it was like I was born again like you know. That's when the change started to happen. But uh, then the re- reality kicked in. I left the church that night and it was like floating like you know. But reality didn't kick in and, it, and I had to deal with a lot of a lot of stuff from the past you know. And um, like when I when I was growing up in Limerick, my uh, my mother like she suffered from mental health. And uh, she wasn't. She found it hard to look after me, you know. And then my grandparents stepped in. My grandfather, and my grandmother stepped in, and, and they were looking after me for a while. And uh, then they were like, they were finding it difficult to handle me and stuff, whatever like that. And then I was, um, I was put into a care home when I was like about five. And the other day I was here, or the other evening I was here with Rob, and he was showing me a picture on the phone of the two lads that just got into the, 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 the home over in Africa, like, and showing me the bunk beds and stuff, whatever, and, and just. I left. I, I was praying. Sim Rob was praying that evening, and, and I and I left. I left and went uh, back home, and uh, just brought back that memory. You know, brought back that memory. It's like I don't know. It's like um, I just never forget. Like the fir- one of the first memories, kind of when I went to the care home. I don't know. I was up in the room. I, I went into my pajamas or something like that. And I was standing. I, was, I think it was about four or five, and I was standing in the room, and I was like, uh, just that. I was weeping, like you know, sort of crying, like I was thinking, where where is everybody? Where is everybody gone? Like you know. So I know it had a, had an impact on me, and then while I was in the home, I suffered abuse, like um, in the home, you know, um, sexually abused, physically abused at times, and you know, so I know that had a big impact as well, like. But like when I was in Tiglin, I had to there, that's the stuff I had to deal with and stuff, and go through one-to-one counselling and stuff, whatever like that, you know. But I know through those counselling sessions, like that, uh, it was just it was it was Jesus that was just like His presence, like you know, His Holy Spirit, like He's just working in me, like and. And uh, yeah, I knew like that I was in a safe place up there and stuff, whatever like that, you know. And um, I suppose I was, I was li- I lived in the home for a couple of years. Went to school and uh, like I went to kind of I suppose went to it was a very Catholic upbringing as well. Like they brought us to mass every week, and I remember mass used to be packed out like on a Sunday from the 80s. Like I suppose if you remember that era, like you know. And uh, but uh, I remember uh, it was an odd about one time, and uh, just I remember coming out with the vestments and stuff, whatever, and. Uh, you be ringing the bell, you know, and all that stuff, like, and, uh, but I remember church churches to be packed out and stuff. But then, like, memories started coming back to me that I blocked out, but I was in Tiglin and stuff, whatever, that I just remember, like, and get no religion class in school and singing songs to Jesus and stuff, whatever, and, you know, and just, just stories about them stuff started coming back, you know, and I believe, like, that was God, like, just, that was all planted back then, you know. Um, so I lived there for a number of years in, in the home until I was about, it was in my early teens. I used to go to this family in Askeaton, County Limerick. And they were a good family to me, like, and stuff. We used to go there for a weekend and stuff. And um, and uh, then my, I remember one day my uh, my grandfather passed away, like, and I was very close to him, like. But when I was living with my grandma and grandfather, like, uh, my grandfather, would he, he, he dr- when he used to drink, like, you know, he used to, uh, he was very, very loud and very, be shouting and roaring and stuff, whatever like that, you know, and be very frightened and stuff, whatever like that. And my grandmother had a hard life with him, like, you know. But he had another side to him as well that was very, very good as well, like, you know, f- f- 
really far on his side, like, you know. And it really had an impact on me when, when I got told in the home, like, the, or in the, in the foster care home, when he died and stuff like that. So that kind of, um, I kind of, things started, didn't work out there for a while then, so I got brought into another unit then back in Limerick, and um, I was there for a few months. Then my uncle and my grandmother went to court, and uh, I, was, I was brought back to the side. I went to live with my grandmother, she took a, and my, gran- and my, my uncle kind of took custody of me. So I was living there for a, a few years and in Weston and stuff, whatever like that, in Limerick, and um, just living in the area. I think my addiction started back in, back in, uh, in when I was in the foster care. I suppose, looking back at it, like, I was trying to um, cope with all that stuff inside, you know, and then I started trying to suppress it all with, with, with solvents and stuff, and different tippics and stuff like that, and t- you know, early teens, and just went down to glue, and then just was drinking and stuff like that, you know. And uh, just hanging on the roads and stuff, whatever like that. And my uncle tried to put me on the right track and try to get me working, and I was trying, but I just, 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 just fell in, just kind of fell away, you know, from all that, and started getting out of prison and stuff, whatever like that. And uh, just another prison for a few years, and then I was uh, started in another prison and stuff, whatever like that. And, and then um, yeah, just uh, but I had to, li- I then, uh, then uh, I had to leave Limerick a few years later, back in 1909. There was a caught up some stuff and there was like a there was an accusation made against me and my life was in, was, was in danger but uh, there was nothing actually said to my face so I just I just I just took off with a limerick you know went to Waterford and my cousin and I got some relation Waterford and I was kind of hiding out down there for a while and my cousin was kind of uh, he was kind of looking after me and then he uh, he died like in a car crash he, he dropped me off and he died in a car crash so I kind of got to a stage where it was like uh, I didn't. I didn't really care about my life. I was kind of dabbling in heroin. So I was smoking heroin, and then I, I started injecting heroin. And I was kind of. I just said, "Well, if I'm going to go, I said, I hope I go. I don't go. I hope I go like without, not too painful or stuff." I was thinking that was in my head, like you know, and I was blaming myself for a lot of stuff as well, like and I caused a lot of people a lot of misery as well, like you know, and um, but like, yeah, when I uh. Yeah, my mother always prayed for me, you know. She always prayed for me. Like, my, I had an aunt, and she was a Christian as well. Like, she became a Christian a few years. I think it was in my 20s, and she'd come home and stuff, whatever, like, and she'd always be talking to about Jesus and stuff, whatever, like that, you know. And uh, she'd always pray for me, like, and even through times of dark depression, like, she, I'd ring her up, and she'd, she'd always listen to me, you know what I mean? Like, and just having someone to listen to, like, and I, yeah, like, and then my mother was sick one time in my late 20s, and it kind of had a big impact on me, and my grandmother wasn't well, and she was still alive, and she was kind of getting older and stuff, whatever, like that, you know, and then, she kind of she um she come up to the gate one time you know in her, in her mental health like in, her, in a broken state like in a, so um and I was drinking at the time as well and taking a lot of drugs and it, and, it, and it, I went into a really dark depression and stuff whatever and and it just uh just really kind of uh just took tablets wounded in and started sort of cutting my arm like I have a tattoo over it now like scars on my arm my mother's name actually like that you know and uh, then uh, I ended up having a breakdown going into hospital I was in there for a week. For a week or two, and like I, I was looking to get, I was looking for something in there, and even the, even the doctor said to me like, "I'm not going to give you anything, like you know." So I was in there for a week, came out of there, and then I kind of, uh, my uncle was kind of really looking after me and stuff, whatever, and staying close, and like a father to me was, you know, still is today, like you know, and um, yeah, so um, was grand for a few years like that, and just the style, just broken, it's just addiction, like you know, hurt and pain inside, and. But like as I was on the program at Tiglin, just started to deal with the issues and started getting started getting counselling and just started getting freedom and stuff, whatever in them areas and forgiving myself and forgiving others and but like just just Jesus is amazing, like you know, he's amazing, like he's the healing he's after doing in my life, like you know. And um brought me up here to Bray, like you know, whatever and uh just uh make making new friends, you know what I mean, I can plant him here in this church, like you know, and stuff <laughs> and uh yeah, like yeah, he's he's a warrior, Jesus, isn't he? Like he's the King of Kings, like isn't he? Like <laughs> and uh, yeah, just I leave it at that. Thanks, Father. I just uh, oh God, I'm just so thankful. How how long ago was that, Martin? You went into thing seven, eight years ago, 2011. So Lord, eight years ago, you changed this man's story. And uh, for the last eight years, you've kept him, Lord God, and you've turned him into a man of God, Lord. And day after day, you've reached out to him in your mercy and your grace, Lord, and his testimony of your keeping power, Lord, and your power to transform any situation. We bless him today in Jesus' name.
We thank you, Lord God, that he's one of us. Lord God, we thank you that he's our brother and everything that he brings. We thank you, Lord, for the smile on his face when he mentions your name, Jesus. How contagious that is, how beautiful it is, how much it speaks of intimacy with you, Lord God. I bless you for Martin, Lord God. Thank you for his honesty, Lord God. Thank you for his story. Thank you for the days that are to come in his life, Lord God. The years that the locusts have eaten been replaced and renewed and the future holding bright and beautiful things, Martin, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Um, right, I didn't. I, I, I'd heard bits and pieces of Martin's story, and um, and I didn't know. I didn't know the whole culmination of of it all. And um, and the reason I asked him to share is, as we were sitting, he he kind of pinpointed. Uh, he pinpointed this moment in Tiglin where he ended up there for the third time. Um, and he was said, as he said, he was going through a sickness and in the sick room. And for some reason, there was a Bible there and he opens it up. And it's, and it's to this, this passage that we have this morning. And, and having heard his story in more detail, I get, I get why it resonated with him, yeah? I get why he's like, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Like looking back on his life, I get why. He's like, how long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? Even the fact there was a death tread on him, that he's like, how long shall my enemy be? exalted over me that it is in real is in real situations and and the psalms have power in them and what we're going to unpack this morning will show how how martin had said like as he read through it that like courage grew in him that something changed in him that it like that is, is kind of like it resonated with where he's at and that's exactly what the psalms are meant to be see most of the scripture is god god speaking to us yeah in fact, all of it is, right? But the Psalms are, and some other passages are slightly different in that instead of it just being God speaking to us, it's like it gives us a language for us to be able to speak to God. It gives us a way that we're able to communicate. So Martin opens that Bible in the middle of the room and all of a sudden here's a passage of scripture that's saying what he's feeling. And not only saying what he's feeling, but, but gives him this way of transitioning out of where he's at and gives him hope for the future. I remember hearing, um, I was talking to a guy, Steve Vaughn, another pastor friend of mine during the week, and he's talking about the Psalms, and he sent me on some stuff that he'd prepared on it. And he heard, he'd heard the Psalms described as this, like, like grooves, you know, like, a, like, like a, the path that a river would flow, or, or the path that a road would go. That it's like, wherever you're at in life, you find the Psalm that's the language, and like, you can step into it, and it brings you out the other side of things. That it gives, like, expression to what we're feeling. And, and what I want to do is, is spend a bit of time going through it because it teaches us how to pray to God, it teaches us how to talk to God. Because a lot of the time, I don't think we're, we're very good at doing that. I, know, I, I don't think we're, we're brilliant at it. I struggle, I struggle with prayer. I struggle with knowing what to say. I struggle with getting to prayer in the first place. Every Tuesday night we come here to pray and, and the majority of Tuesday nights as I'm coming out here, like there's this like, oh, again, like this pattern. How is it Tuesday again? There's like this, but no, I never leave prayer meeting that way. I always leave prayer meeting having heard from God, having like enthusiastic, encouraged about stuff. But somehow again, by Tuesday the next week, I've forgotten what Tuesday the week before happened and it's a struggle to get to prayer or it's a struggle to get to it in the morning. Busyness comes in, all this stuff. Or you sit down to do it and then your to-do list comes to your head like, or, 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 or your problems come. And, and like prayer is a struggle. I'd wager that it's a struggle for most of you. And what God is doing in the Psalms is giving us a language. He's given us a way to speak that, that enables us to enter into it. That we can read the Psalms and it brings us into prayer. It brings us into the presence of God. It's like, like tools that he's given us. Um, this pattern of language that enables us to speak to God. And for the last couple of weeks, the Psalms that we've looked at have followed this pattern that we call lament, right? And we explained it in detail last week that, uh, that, it, that it's, it's not just, it's like it's been able to complain to God. Basically, these Psalms are Psalms of complaint, right? There's 65 of them out of 150, and 7 out of 10 of the, of the 150 Psalms contain some sort of form of lament, some sort of form of brutal honesty before the, before the Lord saying, here is what I'm feeling right now. Now, what's God saying to us in that? He's saying, here's the way that I want you to relate to me. I want you to relate to me with with brutal honesty, but not just honesty that stays where it's at, not just complaining like, like the first two verses only exist there, like, God, you're distant from me, God, you're far, like accusationary, or, or the way Bridget said it, that we don't like agree with the enemy that this is the truth, but we have to also express that it's our truth at the moment if we want to progress onto what God's truth actually is, that, that any revelation of truth starts with, with confession, and what the first part of this scripture is is, 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 is David laying out his problems, he's laying out where he's at, it's confession of what he believes to be true in that moment, but it's not confession without hope, 
See, we get into the groove of it. We, we don't just like jump into like a, a, a pity pit of like, here's all the stuff that's going on. Here's everything that went wrong in my life. And I'm going to wallow in it. And I'm going to complain to you, God. It's no, I'm going to be honest with you about where I'm at. But the Psalms give us like the root out of the pit. They give us the root to transition from our problems to, to praise at the end. And that's what I want us to, uh, to look at. I want us to, to, to examine that stuff, how to, how to get there, how to, how to not just complain on its own, but, but bring us from complaint through petition and into trust in God. And here David, when he speaks, you see his language, right? You see, it's unfiltered. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul of sorrow in my heart? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? To me, it seems like he's just in the place where he's, he's fed up, yeah? Where it's just like... I've been in that place a couple of times in my life, man, where it's just like, stuff is just going on, like, forever. Like, a couple of times where I've been like, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I just, I just can't keep going on this way. I bet you, I bet you you've been there. And, so, and it's almost like problems like that, never, they never just come along in ones. Do you know what I mean? There's never just like, I just have this one problem that I need to fix. I, I've sat with some of you guys and walked through life with some of you guys and you've done the same with me. And you know that when it tends to happen that something goes wrong and right at the moment that something goes wrong, something else goes wrong. And something else goes wrong again. And instead of describing it like a, like it's a little season that we're going through, it's like a season that leads into another season that leads into another season into another season of, of despair, of things just going like wrong after wrong after wrong. That I don't know how many times I've I've heard people say or said it myself that it's like it never rains but it pours, you know? That there's just like this, this consistent battering. And I bet you that's where, where David is, is right there. And it's likely that you've had the same thoughts that David has had, right? It's likely that you've had those thoughts. How long is this going to go on, Lord? How long are you, go- you going to keep distant from me? How long is this going to be going on? How long do I have to live with this twist in my gut? How long do I have to live with this torment in, me, in my head? How long? But what's less likely, and I don't know why it's less likely, some ideas, but what's less likely is that you've actually turned and directed that to God. It's nearly like we ask that stuff, but we ask it as like a rhetorical question. Or we ask it as like some sort of complaint in the back of our head. But we don't actually sit down and ask God that thing. As in, do we direct that to God? And and I'm going to spend some time in prayer, and I'm going to ask God, literally, I'm asking you now, God, how long? Like, like we keep it as a kind of background thing going on in our head, which instead of bringing us to God, what does it do? It distances us further from God. We use that as the reason that we don't go to God. Like, how long is God's letting this stuff go on? We build up this picture of him that we don't go to him. And I don't know why that is. It may be like that you, never, that you don't know God in that way yet, yeah? You don't know that you actually can go to him. Or another reason may be that you're used to being in the good place. You're used to, maybe life has been good for you for a while, and you're used to, you're used to like relating to God that way. I relate to God through the gifts that I do. I relate to God through my position in church. I relate to God through all the things that I'm doing. Um, and then when they fall apart for some reason, we, we just don't know how to, how to relate anymore. Or it could be that you feel you've been doing all the right things, and then things have gone wrong, and you're like, you're like maybe disappointed in God. Like, I've done, all the, I've done all the right things. Why, why is this happening to me? It's very likely when David is in this place, he's like in between the time where he's told he's going to be king and, and him actually becoming king. And he tries to live this righteous life. And what happens instead? He's threatened and he's, he's going to be killed and he's on the run. It's likely this was written at the time when Saul, the king who exists at the time, is chasing him down and trying to kill him. And he's like, God, but you made these promises and now here I am in the middle of this thing. It doesn't look like what you've said is going to happen is actually going to happen. But my, point, my point is this, that, that for whatever reason, we distance ourselves from actually bringing stuff to God, that God wants us to bring it to him, right? And he wants us to bring it to him in a, like an unfiltered way. What we tend to do as Christians is like, we, we, read, we read them first couple of verses, right? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel of my soul? And we're like, well, now David is wrong because we know Jesus is this, this, and this. So we jump to the other end of it and we just like write it off like he didn't, he didn't know what was going on there. But, uh, but you see again and again, like I said, there's like 65 lament psalms where there's just this brutal honesty where you don't have to come to God with right theology. You don't have to tell him what you think he wants to hear. Like, like David didn't, didn't start off the psalm with the end verses of I've trusted in your steadfast love, I'll rejoice in your salvation, I'll sing to the Lord. Instead, he starts with where he's at, even though it's not right theologically. Like, like God hasn't forgotten David, okay? Just because it says, how long, O oh God, will you forget me? Uh, it, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten me. He hasn't forgotten David. It's not a true fact. Yet it doesn't stop David writing it down in song because it's what he's feeling 
in the moment. Now the beauty of it is that it's not doubt creeping in because who's he addressing this to? He's addressing it straight to God. So, so the, the fact that he's addressing it to God means he's trusting that God is going to do something about this. He's not complaining to somebody else, God has forgotten me and joining my pity party and, and reinforce what this thing is, I believe. He's not running to the world and saying, I don't believe in God anymore. No, he's turning to God with the problems he has with God. And he's like, how long, O oh Lord? Have you forgotten me? You don't have to have it right. Even if it's not true what, it, what you're feeling, God isn't like, we think God is like this, right? Like, Rob, go, go figure it out and then come back to me. Like, go figure it out and then come back to me when you're ready to praise me. Like, go figure it out by yourself there somewhere. Read a book or something. Like, do some work on your soul and then, then come back to me when you're ready, when you have things together and you're ready to give me praise. But what the Psalms teach us is that God is the God of the process. And that process starts with our honesty before him turning to him and that he wants to be in the process with us not waiting for us to get it right so that we can come back to him with a right heart or whatever but we come to him the way that our hearts are to the one who can actually change our hearts from the inside out rather than trying to change it ourselves and so last week that's what we looked at in psalm 12 we looked at being honest with god that honesty is like the the it's the beginning of relationship because that's what god wants with you is is relationship he doesn't want stuff based on pretense like, what if, what if my relationship with Patrice looked like that? What if, what, if, what if in some way, like I said, the right things, told her the right things that I thought she wanted to hear, but she knew that my heart is far from her. She knew that I was like, like resentful or bitter or angry somewhere in my heart. Yeah, my mouth is saying the right things, but, but my heart is distant from her. Is that, is, would we accept that kind of relationship as being good? And yet, yeah, that's the way that somehow we're filled into thinking God wants it to be. That our hearts are far from him and they're full of doubt and they're full of fear. But he wants us to just sing the praise the Lord anyway stuff. Like all he wants is lip service. When, when he came and he talks to the Pharisees, he's like, guys, you do, you do all the stuff with your lips. You talk the right talk, but your hearts, they're far from me. God would prefer us to be honest about where our hearts are at so he can bring our hearts into the right place. than to just pay lip service to him and keep our hearts where they're at. To use it as a way to avoid him. So we need to be able to go to God unfiltered. And this psalm is quite tame, right? Like this psalm isn't too, too bad. There's times where David is like, God, would you just murder all my enemies? Would we just kill them all? Like, and he's honest. And what does God say? He says, no, okay? But he still, he still asks him. It's not wrong to ask him. Because if that's what you're feeling, what's wrong to do is to avoid going to God with that stuff and filter and put on some sort of blanket or some sort of pretense of holiness. I really feel like I want all these guys to be killed, but I'm going to go and I'm going like, to like kneel before the Lord and come to, come to church and pretend to be a good little Christian. You need to be honest with the Lord. He knows your heart anyway. Like why, why do we try and filter and, and put stuff uh, in front of it? God wants us to like express to him like honestly how we're feeling. And so the Psalms start with honesty, right? First two verses are verses of honesty. Uh, then there's another two kind of phases. If you flick to the next slide, Mal, I think I have some stuff uh, written up. Yeah, so the first two are like honesty, where we just like speak about our problems. And you'll have seen this in Psalm 12 last week, follows the same pattern. Our problems move through a section of petitions, meaning talking to God about them, and then move to the end to, to praise. Now the ultimate aim is that we end up in the place of praise. We end up in the place where, where God has spoken to us, where we know who he is, where we're trusting in him. But what we need to do is figure out what's the path where we get from our problems to the place of praise, to the place of trust in God. There's a route that we can take. And like I said, the Psalms are like this groove or this route that bring us through the process and get us out the other side. And the middle bit is the way to do it. It's the petition section. He says this, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let my enemies say I've prevailed over them. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. What David does is he takes each of the problems that he has in the first two verses, right? And I'll show you, I'll break this down for you. Each of the problems he has in the first two verses, and he turns those problems into prayers in the second two verses, and then those prayers get turned into praise in the last two verses. Flick to the next slide, actually, Mal, and maybe you'll follow it there with uh, some colors, right? So David, David has, he has three basic problems going on, right? Um, and when you look at this, it's incredible, right? He has like problems that are, like he has a spiritual problem, he has a physical problem, and he has a circumstantial problem, right? Basically, he has a problem in the upward direction, 
towards God. He has a problem in the inward direction in his own heart. And he has a problem in the outward direction with the world around him. Spiritual problem, physical problem, and a circumstantial problem. And he takes each of these problems and he turns each one in turn in the second two verses into prayers. And then eventually through that prayers, he turns each one of those prayers into praise in the last two verses. So when you look at the physical problem, how long, or the spiritual problem, number one, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, right? So he starts with this honesty. I feel, God, that you're distant. I feel that you've forgotten me. I feel you're ignoring me. I feel you've let me down. I feel that there's these promises over my life, but now where are you? Because I'm in, I'm in bits. Look what's happening around me, right? And so it's this spiritual problem. There's a problem between him and God. He's not going into his physical self yet, not going into the problem with the enemies. There's this problem exists between him and God. So the first thing he does, he turns that problem into a prayer. So how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me in verse 1? In verse 3, it becomes this, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. So his, his, his problem, are you with me? His complaint, how long, God, are you going to stay distant from me, becomes a prayer. Lord, consider me and answer me. It goes from just being a question like, like, like we might say, how long is God going to do this? And just moan together about it. And it turns, instead he turns it into a petition to God. He's like, God, consider me. Answer me. Look to me. His problem becomes a prayer. The second problem he has is a physical problem where he says in verse 1 again, or there into verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? So now he's looking inside. He was looking up towards the problem with God. Now he's looking inside. And he's like, how long? I look, it's, it's kind of awkward language there. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? What does that mean? Where do you, he's like, where am I getting my counsel from? He's like, where, where am I, how am I going to find my way out of this? And the only place he can see at this moment is his own soul. Basically saying, how long am I going to be like in this thing alone? How long, how long am I going to be left trying to figure this out? How long am I going to be... Has anybody, has anybody else's head worked like mine where you've got this unresolved problem and it's just on a loop in your head? It's just like when you're not thinking about something else, that's the thing that comes back. And you're taking counsel in your own soul. You're straight, you don't know how do I figure it out. You're thinking every angle. You're thinking every conversation. You're trying to figure everything out. It's like finding counsel only in your own soul. Meaning, how long is my hope only going to be in my own resources? How long, how long is, is, is my hope for the future only going to be in what I can figure out or what I can feel my way out of? And the result of that is that he says he has sorrow in his heart all the day. All day long he's living with sorrow in his heart. What does he do with that? He turns it into a prayer. And the prayer is this in verse 3. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So he's turned internally. He's like, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What's that talking about, light up my eyes? He's like, give me revelation. He's like, help me to see you. Help me to see beyond the counsel that I only have in my own soul, my own thoughts, my own heart. Because what's the end result of that? It's like a sorrow in my heart all day long. He's like, God, I need you to show me who you are. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Give me revelation. Give me understanding. And then the last problem he has, so upwards problem, inwards problem, is with people around him, with stuff that's happening around him. Like he said, it's likely written at the time where there's the king of a country with the armies under his control are trying to track down David and kill him. They're trying to murder him. And it looks like they're succeeding because David is, David is on the run. And he says this, his problem in the beginning is, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Like, how long, how long is, is this guy going to win? How long is Saul going to win? How long is he going to be in power? How long is it going to be that, 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 that he's, he's the right, he's, uh, he looks to be in the right and I look to be in the wrong? And then he, his petition goes on. And we see it in verse, uh, in verse 4. He turns it into a prayer. And this is the most interesting one to me, right? And here's where I want to expand on a little bit in the time we have left, right? He turns it into a prayer. This, this feeling that his enemies are winning. Now, he could just say, right? He could just jump into a single prayer. How long shall it be that my enemy is winning? And then the prayer could become, make me win. Yeah, a simple thing. But he, doesn't, he expands on it a bit. What does he say? He says, um, his, his petition becomes, uh, light of my eyes, let the sleep the sleep of death. And then he says, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Or lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Basically, he's appealing to God. Do you see what he's doing there? He's not just asking for something directly, right? He's not just like, God, do this for me because I want you to do it. He's like, he's trying to convince God of something. He's giving God reasons why he should answer his prayer. He's like trying to, he's trying to reason with God, trying to figure out. It's like he sat down and been like, right, what's going what's, what's gonna to make God listen to this here? What, would annoy, what annoys God about this situation the way that I'm annoyed 
about it. And he remembers that, that God's, God's got like this promise on David's life. God was the one who set him apart. Remember when he's a kid and it's like, you're, you're going to become king of Israel. And he, and he appeals to, to that kind of nature. He appeals to God's word. He appeals to God's goodness. He knows that it would annoy God the thought that the enemy would prevail. He knows that it, like God couldn't settle with the fact that the enemy would get the upper hand over David. He knows that it would annoy God that his foes would rejoice because David had died. And David is, is facing death in this situation. He, he says as much. He knows that it would annoy him and he, he reminds God of it. Don't give my enemy the victory because, because you've said something else would happen. And, and, and if that happens, then like, 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 like it's your name that's at stake as much as it's my name that's at stake. He, he reasons with God. He's like, these guys are challenging your faithfulness to me. He talks to him. He knows it would be unthinkable uh, to let the enemy win. And so he uses this language to try and convince God. And that's where I want to I wanna, I wanna, like, look at that aspect of prayer today. Because there's so much like, like that just, I don't know, do you ever jump, jump forward and jump back and forth in prayer in between like, uh, where people are like, look, if it was just the case of, of, God's, of, of us saying to God, God, do this for me, and God did it. Then everything would be done, yeah? Like, and there are verses like that that says, anything that you ask in my name will be done. But how many times have we asked for something and it's not done? Now, it might be that God is answering no to that, or it might be that we aren't, we aren't really asking in the right way. Now, I'm not saying that we have to unlock some, some, thing, some like, secret way of prayer or some way of convincing God, but what I'm saying is that the Psalms teach us that we can, we can like, reason with God, that we can convince God of something, convince ourselves of something as we talk to him. Because, look, in a trite way, in a, in a, like a, in a, in a simplistic way, I, like, I could say to you guys, but it wouldn't be true. It would be like, all right, you're in a bad place this morning. Just pray these six verses, and now you're going to leave here in a good place. Yeah? And if that was true, none of us would ever be in a bad place. Would we? Because what would we do? First thing, pray the six verses, and now I'm back in a good place again. Yeah? Like, everything is answered. Everything has changed. My sickness is gone. My relationships are restored. Everything that, that I my mean, loss is brought back. Like, 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 but that's not the reality of life. I don't think this is meant to be prayed as like a, a recited off, like going to bed, say two our fathers and three Hail Marys or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it's, not, it's not like a reciting off thing. It's like, it's like getting into this groove, into this pattern of knowing what it is to actually enter into relationship with God and to talk to him about the things that are going on, to reason with him, to hear from him, to speak to him. It's a process of uncovering his thoughts and, and, it's, and it's work at times. That's why, like I was saying, I find prayer a struggle, and, but I, I've become convinced that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, that it's meant to be a struggle. We're meant to have some skin in the game. He's willing to listen to us and to consider what we say. He's willing to speak to us and to not let us know what he's doing in the middle of situations. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we need to, to wrestle with God in prayer. We need to engage more than just rattling off the verses. We need to engage our will in it. We need to engage our strength in it. We need to engage our ears in listening. We need to engage our minds. We need to engage what we know of God and his character in the way that we approach him with what's going on in our lives. We need to be willing to argue with God. I want you to do this, Lord, and here's why I want you to do it. Like speaking to him that way. God wants us to do that, not just... Here's what I've become convinced of over the past couple of weeks, right, in studying the Psalms. It's not just that it's okay to be honest with God if you really need to be. It's that God wants you to be honest with him. You with me? Not just it's all right to do that, but that it's necessary to do that if you want anything to actually change. It's necessary to be honest with God if you want to actually change. It's necessary to bring stuff before Him. And He's invited us into this way of interacting with Him that can actually change things. You see it all through the Bible. You see, you know, like from the very kind of beginnings of things, the story of Abraham and God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, and Abraham's like, no, don't destroy it. What if there was like, he's like God's going to destroy it. It's like, what if there's 50 righteous people there? You wouldn't want to kill the righteous, would you? And God's like, okay, he changes his mind. He's like, okay, if there's 50 righteous people there, I won't do it. And then Abraham pushes it. He's like, well, for the sake of five other people, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't not kill them, would you? So let's say there's 45, would you, would you not kill them? And he's like, okay, for 45. And then Abraham keeps bargaining down. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And each time God like, kind of agrees with him. Okay, now Sodom and Gomorrah end up getting destroyed because there wasn't 10 righteous people. But, but there's this like, process of engaging with it. You look on down through Abraham's family line, you have Jacob wrestling with God, which is a picture of prayer, where, where in the middle of the night, Jacob is facing Esau and facing an onslaught of coming back to the brother that he's ripped off, and Esau's coming towards him with an army. And then in the middle of the night, God appears to Jacob physically, and, and he wrestles with this guy. And eventually, J Jacob realizes who he is, and, uh, and he holds on to him, and he's like, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. 
And so what does the man do? What does God do? He, he blesses him. There was a wrestling with God, and then there was a blessing that came at the end of it, but there was a struggle in it. And you see it all the way through the place. You see, you see Moses then, later on, the Israelites. Moses goes up the mountain. You know the story? Moses in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down. What have the Israelites already done? Started to worship another god, made this golden calf. And God's like, man, I made a mistake. I'm just going to wipe these people out, right? They're gone. Moses pleads with them. He's like, no, you've made promises over these people. And God changes his mind because Moses reasoned with him. He changed what God was going to do because he engaged with them. And you see it all over the place. Now the answer isn't always, isn't always yes when, when they talk. The answer isn't always yes when people ask God stuff that, that, that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's facing, he's facing going to the cross and he's like, look, if there's a way for this to, to, to pass from me, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, let it, let it happen. Yet yeah, not my will, but yours be done. And the will of God was that the cup didn't pass from him and he goes through it. Paul describes this, Paul, we don't know what, you know when Paul just talks about this thorn in the flesh that he had? I don't know whether it's a physical ailment or a struggle with sin or some sort of thing that Paul had. But Paul, the apostle, says that Paul who saw miracles, yeah? Paul, like God used to heal the sick and do all sorts of stuff, had this, this issue. And he says, I asked God to remove it for me and God, God chose not to. But with God saying not to, he gives him the grace to know that it's for a bigger purpose. We don't know what that is. Paul does right now because he's in heaven. He gets to go and be in glory with the Lord. But you're with me. There's this, there's this engaging with God, this, this ability to ask him. Later in uh, Colossians, Paul speaks about this guy called Epaphras, right? And he's not mentioned a lot in the Bible, but it's at the end where he's like sending greetings, right? And here's what he says uh, to the Colossians. He says, Epaphras, right? Listen to what this guy, what he's known for. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Epaphras struggles with God for you in his prayers. Not like Epaphras prays for you all the time or each morning when he's eating his cornflakes he says bless those guys and in Colossians or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like not like a trite thing. It's like he, he, he explains this guy struggles with God for you in his prayers. Like prayer is described as a struggle to him and Paul commends him for that work. And why is he struggling? So that you may stand fully mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That he contends for you in order. He fights for you. Another translation says he fights for you in prayer. He goes for bat to battle for you in prayer. And sometimes, guys, I don't think we really get what prayer can do. I genuinely don't because we throw out token prayers. God bless this thing. God, will you do this thing? With no weight behind them, we just throw it out like, oh yeah, I prayed for you. What does that mean? It means I said, God, God, will you do this? Will you change it? And I get that you can pray a prayer in faith in the moment and whatever. But where's the, where's the tenacity behind our prayers? Where's the praying through until something happens? Look, God's will is God's will and God does what God does, yeah? But here's the important thing to understand, that God, though he is sovereign and God, though he knows everything that's going to happen from beginning to end, God has determined that some things only happen through prayer. Do you hear that? Even though God is sovereign... God has determined in his sovereignty that some things are only going to happen through prayer. Because you can look at the sovereignty of God and be like, look, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We just like go, God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. And I just like kind of like move along in life observing what he's doing, right? But now God in his sovereignty has invited us into this relationship and given us this tool called prayer, which is a way to speak to him and convince him of what we'd like him to do. And God has ordained that some of the things that he wants to do in the world are only going to happen through your prayers. Jesus says it this way. He says, you, don't, you have not because you ask not. Meaning you need, to, you need to ask God for the things you need. You have not because you ask not. He gives, Jesus gives this other example of prayer. You know when he tells the story, um, he says this, I'll read it out, Luke 18. In a certain town, he's telling this story, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, will he find faith on the earth? Gives this example of how we should be with God. Persistence in prayer for the things that matter. 
He says, God will answer those who cry out to him day and night. I mean, have you ever given that tenacity to praying through something that matters? Your loved ones who don't know the Lord, your sickness you're going through, your relationship. Have you ever given that tenacity into like day and night crying out before the Lord? Persistence in prayer, tenacity in prayer, like getting something between your teeth and going after it in God because God wants us to do that. He wants us to care enough to enter into relationship with him, to, to, to talk to him about that stuff, to ask him that stuff. If it doesn't happen, to ask him why that stuff. God's not afraid of our questions. He answers us with his presence he always answers maybe his answer is yes and he does what you asked or maybe his answer is no and he gives you the grace and the peace to walk in that situation anyway but he always answers he's always listening but what do we do we 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 just distance we don't we don't even bother we don't get what prayer can do we don't get what it is we're being invited into prayer is the language of of relationship we spoke last week about about god being our father you need to understand that level of relationship that we have in talking to him about things driving out here this morning I was thinking like what if uh, I had some big issue with something that's going on in society right I'm not going to pick an issue but say I did I really care about it and I'm campaigning on that behalf right and eventually I I end up I'm able to get like a meeting with the Taoiseach about it right and I go in and and, and I'm like so I go in and I'm going to have all my best argument ready and I'm going to have my presentation ready and here's like my one chance to chat to this guy about it who can make something happen right and I lay it all out and I lay it before him and he may get it and he may answer or he may not and he may go he may, he may just do something else for whatever reason, right? And, and I think that's the way maybe we treat God at times, right? We get our best argument together and we go there once. It's like, here's a once-off thing. And then when it doesn't happen, we're like, oh, I prayed about that and it didn't happen. God isn't real. <laughs> or God doesn't care. I prayed about that thing. I asked God about it and it didn't, it didn't happen. But if we understand the context of relationship, what if, uh, what if the Taoiseach was your brother and you have, the same, you have the same concern? And each day over dinner, you pick his mind about it. And, and, and you're able to talk to him more bluntly about it. You don't need to have all the right filtered conversations ready. You can just be able to tell him, look, here's what's going on in the world. Do you not see what's happening? You're able to, to show him. You're able to point it out to him. You're able to appeal to his position to be able to do something about it. We need to understand that that's the, that's the level of relationship that God is inviting us into. In fact, when Jesus speaks to, to Peter, you know, he's like, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's, he's saying, I want to interact with you and see my kingdom come on the earth. We need to understand that level of relationship is what God has called us into. It's not like a one-off, I prayed and it didn't happen. We need to understand the tenacity that we have the ear of God. And even if we don't understand them, we have the voice of God to explain to us why things aren't going the way that we want them to go. That God is with us in and walking with us in this stuff. It's, it's in there again and again and again in the Bible. You know the story, the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus. And uh, Jesus says only Canaanite meaning she wasn't a Jew. And at that point in time, Jesus decided, I'm only going to preach the gospel to the Jews. And this woman comes along, her, her, her daughter is demon possessed. She's like, Jesus, will you heal her? And he's like, oh, no, I've only come to speak to the Jews right now. And he keeps, she keeps hounding. So the disciples are like, look, will you, will you listen to her? Will you tell her to go away? And she comes to him. She's like, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. She's demon-possessed. And he's like, no, I've only, I've only come to the Jews. I haven't gone there yet. You don't. He says the language he says is like, you don't take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if that was me, that would make me be like, all right, enough of him. I'm going, I'm going away, right? But what does she say? Instead, she says this. She says, uh, you don't take children's bread and toss it to Is it not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs? And she goes, yeah, it is. It's right to do that because uh, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She's just looking for a way to like, convince him of it. Jesus turns around and says to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Jesus starts off not wanting to heal that girl because it wasn't the time. And he's convinced by this woman to do it because of her faith. And somehow her faith convinces God to do stuff. And what's he saying? He's saying that. Faith is this active thing. It's this active relationship. It's, it's, it's being in there with God and talking to him. Believing he'll care. Believing he'll listen. Even if he decides not to. Believing that he'll listen and give you like that, that audience. We need to understand that that's, that's the, the, the gift that we have in prayer. To be able to go to him. After we learn the lesson of honesty, we have to learn the lesson of, uh, of tenacity. That God invites us to reason with him. And then, out of that, here's what happens with David. He moves into the praise section. 
And you see all of them become the stuff like, so how long, O Lord, Under, in the blue underline becomes, consider and answer me. And then in verse 5, it becomes, I've trusted in your steadfast love. The relationship with God changes. Like, I've trusted in your steadfast love. Like, the, his heart that has sorrow all the day, like, what's it by verse 5? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation because he's prayed, lift up my eyes. The, in the, the circumstantial kind of element, where he's like, how long shall my enemy be exalted? Then in verse 4, it uh, becomes a prayer. Like saying, do this, Lord, he reasons with God. You don't want the enemy to have the victory. And then at the end, it turns into praise. I'll sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. It's not going to be the enemy that's exalted. God's dealing bountifully with me. Now, I don't think, I don't think, and here's, here's the important bit, right? Because we can't just see this as a trite thing, just pray this and everything changes, right? I don't think that anything really has happened in between verse 4 and verse 5. Nothing really, like, there's not a magical moment that happened that all of a sudden David was answered and his, his heart wasn't downcast anymore. There wasn't a magical moment that all of a sudden, like, in the one second that it takes between him saying verse 4 and verse 5, that the enemy wasn't after him anymore. Circumstances may not have changed, but what's David doing? I think this is praise in the middle of the battle. I think this is like a, a prophetic voice of praise. He's not praising God because all of a sudden he's delivered him from his enemy, because all of a sudden like there's not this stuff going on wrong with him, because all of a sudden God is close and not far away. No, there's like this prophetic element of praise. He's brought his petition towards him, and then he steps into a prof- what's prophetic, speaking what isn't as if it is until it is. It's David praising God for the answer that he hasn't even got yet. He takes up this posture of battle in praise, which is different than what I said last week, just paying like lip service to God, like, God, I'm going to praise you anyway in the middle of this stuff. No, he's brought the real stuff to him, and now because he's done that, because he's trusted in God, because he's engaged with God, because the process of even speaking to God and listening back to God has changed his heart and his mind and his understanding, he's like, God, I'm going to praise you in the middle of this thing. I'm going to praise you in the middle. I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. Even though it looks like you're distant, even though he's probably in a cave or something at this point, I'm still in the cave right now, but I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. I'm going to trust that you're going to deal bountifully with me. I'm going to rejoice in my heart. I'm going to sing a new song to you because of that. That this praise is like a battle-filled praise to go after God. Not just a quick fix. You come here this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer over you. You're going to leave here and everything has changed. No. You take up the posture of honesty to God, tenacity in praying through your situations, listening to God, and then praising Him in the middle of it, knowing that the God who begun the good work in you is faithful to complete it. And if this psalm doesn't have enough of a groove for you to get into, there's 67 other ones of them that speak a lament if you're in a tough place that will help you find where you're at and find your route out of it. Like Martin eight years ago, been through a tough time. And God speaks to him through this thing, and eight years later... Here he is. Here's what, here's what I hope we learn. Here's what I hope we take away. Not just that this, this morning does something, but that it convinces us of something. That God wants us to be honest. That God wants us to bring our petitions towards. He wants us to like just engage with him and what's going on. And then ultimately he wants us to take up a position of like prophetic battlefront praise of confessing who he is and believing who he is until we see that come to pass. And Lord, um, I believe that that's, that's more than just my heart for me or my heart for this, this group of people who've gathered here this morning. I believe that it's your heart. I believe your scripture is like ridiculously consistent in saying that. And uh, whatever's in our way, Lord, you just break it out of it. And I pray today as we go home, we get into the Psalms, wake up in the morning and there's a tenacity about us to go after you in prayer, to set aside the time, Lord God, whether it's morning, noon and night, where Paul says, pray without ceasing that there's something in us that's like, see the things that I've like left on the, on the long finger, God, see the things that I've taught you deserted me and now I'm going to turn towards you with a tenacious prayer, with a faith in the middle of it. I'm going to turn, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to turn my, my problems into petitions and I'm going to praise you in the middle of it. And Lord, I pray that you would do what I know you do in the middle of that, that you would answer with your presence, answer with your power, you'd answer with your goodness, Lord God, and that you would cause us to be people who genuinely sing of the goodness of God. It's whatever's going on, in the victories and in the lows, Lord God, we know that, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever and ever and ever, that you do not change, Lord God. Pray your spirit would speak to our hearts right now, Lord. Give us the courage to enter into, Lord God, all those things that we've been struggling with, Lord, all those things that we've distanced from, all the situations we're facing. I know they're real, Lord, but there's a more real reality than our reality, and that's you, Lord. You have the answer to everything. I trust you in it, Lord. And I pray that we would be a people who grow in the capacity to do that, Lord, day after day, Lord. 
impart that to us. Gift us with it, Lord God. Lord, bless your people, Lord. Lord, bless you. Keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Lord, be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you. And that he would give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.